Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 305th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Heighton Davidson, Robbie Ride, and John Mailer. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Eric Kissack on the show. He's an old guest of ours and an old pal as well. And he is back on the show to talk about directing television. He has been editing feature films and TV shows, some of the best, for a long, long time. And he just did his first episode of Network Television. So we got him on the show to talk to him about the things that he learned, the dreams that came true, the things that were different and surprising. It's a great conversation. Oren, remind us of all of the incredible shows that Eric has worked on. He just edited Pam and Tommy for Hulu, Rutherford Falls, which he directed, The Good Place, Black Monday, Veep. He edited Horrible Bosses 2, The Dictator, A Very Harold and Kumar, Christmas, Cedar Rapids, Bruno, Role Models. Just wall-to-wall bangers, yeah. He specializes in comedy, and he really knows what it takes to make a joke work. He's a really thoughtful, insightful guy, and very good about talking about the craft of filmmaking. Yeah. And I think even if you uh, don't care about TV or are not really on a trajectory for TV, I think you'll still find some really good tidbits in this interview because we do just talk about the ethos of being a director and Mm -hmm. being on set and the relationship with your crew and with the people that are paying you. And I think it's really fun. I've talked about this on the podcast probably years ago, but he started this director's group where he would invite all Mm -hmm. his director friends to just come hang out in his house, have some wine, have some pizza and just talk about directing because directors rarely get to meet other directors. And that's where we met Carlin and we met Tim Nakashi there and all sorts of uh, people that have been on the show since then. If you'd get one thing out of this episode that might be helpful, it's, hey, you should start a director's group. (laughs) The thing that I love about Eric's story is that it's such a great blueprint for people who want to have a meaningful creative life that is a little bit more normal perhaps his plan was not to win the lottery ticket of a sundance film or south by southwest film or whatever his it was just put in the hours be great show people that you're great and do it that way you know before we talk to eric we want to tell you about our patreon patreon.com slash just shoot a pod it's a place you can go and support this podcast if you feel like you get anything out of this if you feel like you've learned what mistakes not to make that we've talked about, what uh, websites to go find images for your treatment or whatever uh, you think is helpful and you want to help us out and keep the podcast going and pay our editor, uh, go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. We appreciate it. Um, for $15, you can get a just shoot it podcast hat, which is uh, the coolest thing in town. Yeah. Very cool. 
us me and matt yeah 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 two authorities on things that are cool yes <laughs> um no but seriously 15 dollars a month gets you a just shoot it hat uh on patreon.com and yeah any other amount gets you your name shouted out at the top of this show and hey if we do a live show it'll also get you a ticket to come so hopefully you know, they're they're on the horizon you think 2022 there's a live just shoot it i really hope so non-zoom yeah yeah, yeah i really hope so me too on that note, let's get into the rest of this episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We are here with Eric Kissack. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, uh, it's been a while, buddy. Yeah. I, I should yeah. look it up. Eric, you were on nonstop and then um, life got oh, in the way. Yeah. <laughs> there was a pandemic i, sure. I think sure. um, yeah yeah Kids, this is your first time life. remotely doing the podcast i think that's right it is much more convenient <laughs> yeah <laughs> and a, so, uh, like 30 percent less fun right <laughs> that's that's true but, but you so, know that we we met carlin and tim uh who've both been on the podcast actually quite a few times in the past few months through eric and eric I, eric invented the director's group and for people that are newer listeners and haven't listened to this show since we started six years ago, this show was kind of Eric's idea that I just stole. I mean, um, I, I actually, you know, and all, all jesting aside, I, I, the bringing people together and, 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 you know, kind of forming communities is one of my great joys. And so it makes me happy to, to, to have 
to hear you say that. Yeah, man. Yeah. Wow. And script uh, notes of directing. Yeah, Eric there you Kinder go. Eric Kissack. <laughs> 1995, you said that. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea that Script Notes has been around since 95, though. It feels like it. Uh, uh, it looks like the last episode you were on was uh, episode 57. Oh, no way. Wow. No. he didn't, didn't he do a live show with us or no? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't oh, think so. Mm-hmm. 57. We were on oh, episode, wow. this is 305, I think? Yeah, oh, 250 God. episodes ago. Jeez so, Louise. <laughs> Well, um, this is on you mostly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, so Eric, you just came off of editing Pam and Tommy, the HBO docu series, the Hulu not <laughs> the Hulu scripted series. Yeah, uh, <laughs> before that, though, <laughs> remind listeners who uh, who haven't been sticking with us for. Well, I feel like quite we'll, so intro, we'll say it all in the intro. Yeah, but just you know, just to just to yeah. hear it out loud, yeah. straight from Eric's well, mouth. What what yeah, other shows I mean, he's worked? Yeah, what, what are your favorite highlights? Highlights. I mean, uh, uh, the Good Place was a was a highlight for me. I, I edited uh, four seasons of the Good Place. I did one season of Veep. I'm very proud of Pam and Tommy. I'm happy with it. Um, I did a bunch of movies. I did a movie called Role Models, which mm-hmm. I'm very fond of. A movie called Cedar Rapids that I'm fond of. I um, forgot you. I love both of those movies, man. And he did The Dictator, Sasha Baron Cohen, Horrible Bosses, Dose. Uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun movies, you know, like my journey has been sort of a journey of discovery, gentlemen, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I discovered after like movie number nine or 10 that I didn't actually like editing movies that much, changed tax into doing, uh, TV. Do you think you didn't like it or you just were bored with it? I think I didn't know how to have a, honestly, I, well, two things really, I, I didn't know how to have a good work life balance doing movies mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. movies are pretty like all encompassing. Yeah, um, TV has stressful. a cadence to it, right? Like you exactly. turn in an episode and then you get to start yeah. fresh on the next episode. The very, very much so. Right. And, and it's also like, you know, people are always paying attention, you know, mm-hmm. to TV obviously, but like, it's like if one episode isn't the best thing ever, it's not like, how do we fix it? You know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. yes, like you're, you're, you always try to make it the best you can, but it's like, no career not... is ruined by, yeah, you know, the, a middle season episode on a network show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, that episode could have been better. Let's move on. Let's, let's yeah, nail yeah. the finale. You know? Yeah. Don't submit that one to the Emmys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but with movies, it's like, you know, like, why, you know, why isn't this, why isn't this scoring higher? Why, why isn't mm-hmm. this, you know? And then also, I, you know, in comedy, Something happened along the way, and I, I I don't really understand exactly why. But critics started to be much much harder on comedy mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. Um, just really to start tearing them apart. Um, and you you think that I would learn not to care after mm-hmm. a while, but um, I never well, learned not to care. They they won. We don't get them anymore. No, yes, one. <laughs> the critics won. Are you yeah. happy, critics? <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't get comedies anymore. <laughs> um, but critics are are sort of like fairly light on a lot of television, you know. And I think mm-hmm. I think that's sort of like the nature of television is, you know, critics are reviewing two, three, four, even an entire season sometimes, but they're never reviewing the entire TV show from beginning mm-hmm. to end. Mm-hmm. And so a TV show could have like a really terrible fourth season and end really lamely. And and that doesn't really like get yeah. factored into the critics' reviews because sure. that's just the nature of, of right. how it all works. 
Um, You're making me realize thinking of, I know a handful of TV critics and they are a different breed than film critics. And they, I think maybe it's like in order to be a TV critic, you have to have an insane appetite for media. You just have to be like, Oh yeah, I want to watch stuff. All the time. Yeah. 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 So if you don't love TV, it's too grueling and too uh, poorly paid of a job to not <laughs> to do, basically, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think there's more, there are more fans, essentially, yeah. Yeah. better. And not to, not to, you know, demean the profession or anything. Like, I, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm in awe of a good, of a great critic's writing. Um, but I do think there is, there, you are coming into it more, more of a fan, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so, and so I said there were, I said there were two reasons, quality of life. Um, and well, part of it is just like, like, like you kind of touched on this a little bit, but like, like my first Hollywood movie was role models that I edited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That movie doesn't get made today. Like it yeah, just, you know, yeah. like, like, and you mean like a mid budget comedy yeah. that's got famous people, but not exactly. In it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like, the, like there are mid budget comedies on Netflix, but with, teen tiktok actors that you've never heard of right, <laughs> you right. know like it's just a very different beast and and um, when you say mid-budget that number has changed significantly like role totally. models i have no idea but it's probably in the you know 20, 20. to 50 million dollar range Correct. and like yeah. a, a tiktok influencer netflix movie is like 1.5 you know? sure and there is a there's a different like there's still like the you know, like, like the five to eight million Joey yeah. King, you know, yeah, that's sure, probably yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. around there. But but yes, yeah. you're right. There's very few in the in the thirty to fifty million dollar yeah. range anymore. Um, so yeah, television. Uh, anyway, long story short, television yeah. has done me well. And yeah. Eric directed a feature too back in those days when you were you were editing features as well. I did, I did. Yeah. So along the way, I sort of caught the directing bug. Um, would you know sort of shoot a short film over a weekend, um, you know, shot a, a, a feature film over 10 weekends mm-hmm. as I'm like editing, you know, other things. Um, and, you know, it was only something I could do free kids. Uh, but but uh, it was great. I loved it. And, and never, you know, sort of for whatever reason didn't make the thing that, that put me on the map necessarily well you kind of did right i mean you made the gunslinger you he made a short film as narrated by nick offerman and won all sorts of awards it got you represented as mm -hmm. a commercial director yes Um, so the gunfighter uh did sort of sort of semi put me on the map um but yeah only in the kind of like commercial realm and i think probably the last time i was on the podcast i was probably doing that and uh and and I sort of began through this process of discovery in my life, um, realized that I didn't like it very much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, it's funny not, not to dive in too deep to on it, but yeah. um, we do talk a lot about commercials. And I think that mm-hmm. Orin and I hear from a lot of listeners or who I think have been inspired to be like, oh, well, I'd love to do commercials and then also do narrative work. And so commercials are a good way to pay the bills and all that stuff. And Orange always the first to say, hey, it's super competitive. It's super hard. You know, you should really if you want to do commercials, you should really love it. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's not like the easy side hustle you can do. Yeah, while yeah, you're it's, your right. it's not the gimme. But um, but we never talk about how like I think most directors would dislike doing commercials. You do kind of like the pitching process and the like, you're the, you know, the middle of the sandwich, I always say creatively, 
you have to like say yes to a lot of creative input that you may or may not agree with after you've already yeah. eaten a lot of shit. It's really a, a shit eating job more than I think any other type of directing. Yeah. yeah and the Unless you're a superstar that. director. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're Lance Accord, um, you can be like, no, that's dumb. I won't do this, but you know. Yeah. Although, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm old friends with, with Ruben Fleischer who was, you know, directed sure. big giant movies. Zombieland. And he also, mm-hmm. he also does Zombieland and, and he just did the new, um, uncharted movie and he also does commercials and i'm like ruben like when you do these big commercials do you still have to just like eat shit and and do whatever the client says and he's like oh yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) he he has like very little control i do think there are directors like the david lachapelle you know like yeah people that have that they're almost like a creative director as well as a director you know a lot of photographers and people like like that but it's probably like the 0.1 percent not like the one percent right yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Whereas I would, I would describe Ruben Fleischer as like an A-list commercial director. Like I knew he did a lot of music videos and stuff back in the day, but like when you can name multiple movies, like off the top of your yes. head that you know he did, you yeah. would hope that they don't have to do that sort of work. And it sounds like it makes sense they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will say, um, I, the one, the, go ahead. So I, you know, I work with Mike Mills as we talked about, and I've been on. A commercial set of his and he does seem to have more free reign he gets to say no oh man well it's not that he gets to say no but there is less <laughs> of like a like let's wait to let's not move on until the agency tells us we can move on mm-hmm. you know which is mm-hmm. i think really like the that's how our day moves is like i think it's like i we do a couple takes and fix mm-hmm. some things tweak some things then I think it's good and I'm ready to move on. But then we have to wait to hear that the agency mm-hmm. thinks it's good mm-hmm. and is ready to move on. Yeah. And I feel like he kind of, they trust him. They trust him to say like, we got it. Let's move yeah. on. Yeah. You have to win it. That makes sense. Is what we're saying. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. The, the one thing I would add to, to your, your litany of, of, of commercial directing woes is, you know, as, as an, as an editor coming from an editing background, it was dismaying how little input I had in the edit. You know, because I would sort of be like, I'd be like, hey, you know, I kind of know what I'm doing here. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me let me like try a pass where this and they're like, nah, nah, we got it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's like the 24 year old ad exec who, sure. you know, didn't go to film school. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's a different like there are, you know, editing commercials is, is its own thing, you know. In a way, sure. but yes, but I agree in terms of like why you want to be a filmmaker in the first place is because you like the, to talk about ideas, to put them together and to, mm-hmm. you know, shepherd them into the world. And they, you get, they exclude you from two of those three parts, you know, yeah. as a commercial yes. director. And with like the sensibility of like comedy, you know, most of what makes something funny is made or broken in the edit, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah stuff can totally crush and it can be a difference of six frames you know yeah it's yes. where you put that fart sound yeah yeah effect that really exactly exactly I, uh, I not to reference old episodes but we did have <laughs> don Sherell on who does a lot of progressive ads or geico geico, ads? geico. geico pardon me geico ads and he did talk about what makes a fart joke funny but what makes a fart sound funny and i've referenced it too many times but he was like this isn't funny that's not a funny <laughs> fart sound this is sure. a funny part sound. <gasps> oh, 
<laughs> and it always yeah. it, you know it's a really it's the yeah. storytelling in his his performance exactly. basically exactly yeah and, uh, and yeah. you know, I think there is a good lesson about comedy, generally speaking. There, there's a build up and pay really off, and, you know, a prestige at the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Eric, we're burying the lead because yes. you you cut all of this wonderful work. Uh, you've worked on all these incredible TV shows, um, and you mentioned you caught the directing bug, and it kind of had been, you know, a question of like, oh, when was the right time for you to kind of step into that role and and direct your own episode of television, and that happened. It did happen. Um, yeah, it's funny. I So uh, on the first season of The Good Place, um, I was working with Dean Holland one day. And Dean mm-hmm. is a was a director, was an editor on The Office, um, who then started uh, directing, I believe, on The Office and then also Parks and Rec. And now is, you know, mm-hmm. it's a fairly successful TV director. And I was like, hey, man, like, you know, I want to do what you did. And like, I want to I want to be the, the TV editor who becomes the director. And he was like, yeah, man, just, you know, just let, just make sure people know, you know, just tell mm-hmm. people that you, that you, that's what you want to do and like do, do good work as an editor and then make and keep, you know, make good relationships and you'll be directing in like four years. And I was like, I'm going to do it in two. <laughs> man, and what year was five, this? Five years later. <laughs> now there was a pandemic in the in the middle of that so i sort of sure. feel like like his his four years is probably accurate if the pandemic mm-hmm. hadn't happened um but uh but yeah goes to show you but this was on um, a good place You're that was in the good place yes that was in the good place um and so i did not so i got so so mike sure who who created the good place um became a, a good cheerleader for me which is amazing mm-hmm. because you know he's he's um, a very talented writer and show creator um and so he he wasn't able to um, get me on the schedule for the good place, but he did create a sort of web series uh, for the good place that I directed mm-hmm. in between season three and four, um, which was like six episodes. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was sort of like my first kind of like TV adjacent kind of thing, uh, and went really well. We got nominated for an Emmy. Mm-hmm. I sort of feel like it was a nice was a nice show. sure yeah. Stamp of approval. Um, oh, and that and was with so Mark then, Evan Jackson. Who's, and that was with Mark Evan Jackson. He's in Matt's movie, right? He is in my movie. That's oh, true. Um, yeah. yeah um, he plays a cop. Delightful. And uh, one of our producers uh, works on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So uh, nice. we're just typecasting him. Yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, well, he, he is wonderful. I love him. Yeah. yeah um, and, uh, and so then so for Mike's next show, which was a show he co-created with Ed Helms and um, Sierra Teller. Keller Ornelis, um, a show called Rutherford Falls. Um, I the deal was that I would edit and then also direct, um, and so that happened. And that's on Peacock. And that's on Peacock. So the yeah. first season is 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 available now, and the second season comes out later this year. And that's the second season is the one where, where I directed. Awesome. That's and so did exciting. you yeah. did you know it was going to be the second season that you get your episode? Like when you started? So it was supposed to be the first season. Um, and in fact, I was actually on the schedule uh, and the pandemic happened. And mm. uh, this kind of happened to a number of people that I know were basically, you know, instead of having eight directors for a season, they went down to like three because they just had to block shoot everything. And it was just the way that everything worked with the testing and everything. It's like they just they couldn't they couldn't do it. Yeah, um, or at least if you're lucky enough like to be, to do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. If you're lucky enough to be one of the 
directors who was on a show and was in the cadence of testing and stuff, you did way more episodes than normal. Yeah. You know, like I have a friend who's like, I don't but like did eight show episodes last year, but it was all kind yeah. of in the same production universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, most I, I most same, people I, get knocked off. Yeah. I had, I had a friend who was going to do four episodes of what we do in the shadows. Um, and she ended up doing eight. <laughs> that's well, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I was like, good for you. Yeah. yeah cool. That's yeah. Like, yeah that's, that's four episodes, four directors that didn't get to do their episode. Well, and also just to talk big picture, you know, uh, I mean, The Good Place is a great example of a network show that had a very limited season run. You know, it used to be that like The Office, it was like, yeah, of course, an editor gets to direct an episode. They were just tacking on extra episodes. They were like in the heyday, they were doing like 39 episodes a season or something (laughs) bonkers like that. It was truly too many episodes. Um, and yeah, so they were handing them out like like candy, you know, and then <laughs> yeah, and that that sort of you know, it yeah. sort of like it came came around a little bit at the wrong time. In that, yeah, when there's 13 episodes instead of 22, is I guess mm-hmm. was normal, you know, that makes it harder. Um, Rutherford Falls, we do eight episodes, so right. that right. was like a big a big a big thing. But um, well, but yeah, on the showrunner uh, typically will do a couple episodes, and then you know, if you've got a right. directing producer, it, they get eaten up pretty quick, you know. Very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Is, um, so I'm curious, uh, and for our listeners too, like when you, so you are now on the schedule to direct an episode of Rutherford Falls. Do, who needs to approve you? Like, does the, do network executives need to approve you? Do you have to show any of your directing work or is it the fact that you've edited 800 episodes of TV? No. So, so yeah, it's a great question. Um, the network has to approve all the directors, and it's a little bit of a catch twenty two because because you basically can't direct until you've directed, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was actually something. So 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 Mike actually create, co created a, a little show, little 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 known show um, that was quite lovely um, called uh, Sunnyside mm-hmm. uh, that was on for a few episodes. Um, and that was actually the show he worked he sort of co created after The Good Place. And he was like, "All right, like this is it. This is you know this is the one that you're going to direct." Um, and he like sent my name to NBC and they were like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, Interesting. Yeah. He, and he was like, but I'm, but I'm like, sure. And <laughs> they were like, no. Um, and so, you know, he kind of like then sort of had a talk and he was like, look, you know, what qualifies someone as like mm-hmm. being eligible? You know, mm-hmm. like if we do this web series that we're talking about doing for the good place, like, would that qualify? And they were like, yes. So I, I don't know. Did they care? Rule. Do they care if you were DGA at all? Does that make any difference? No, no. I don't care about it. I, you know, Eric, uh, we'd made a, a little joke about, you know, inexperienced clients and, and ad executives. But some people, I don't know any of the people that you worked with and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but studio side, it can be a similar situation where you come up, you've got a degree in marketing or, or business sure. or something like that. And, you know, you maybe don't have a ton of set experience or maybe literally don't know what most people's jobs are. You know, like yeah. there's a huge spectrum of uh, really awesome studio people to people who uh, don't have any business in media. Um, yeah. And so, Oren, your, your point of like, well, well, you know, what, what makes someone qualified in their eyes, it can be a little bit of a crapshoot, right? Like, 
it's it's not like yeah, there was I mean, like a checklist and it was like, well, if Eric right. scores 80 on this aptitude test, he's good to go. Right. You know, I mean, the one thing I'll say is that, you know, TV is everything is tight in TV. The budgets are tight. Mm-hmm. The schedules are tight. You can't like not make your day in TV. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, it's risk averse on the yes. renting side. It is very, very risk averse. And so, like, you know, that's their biggest fear that someone goes on set and just like, it's not that they don't know how to like work with the actors, it's not that they don't like understand blocking. It's literally that like they don't know how to make their days, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of am sympathetic to that. I mean, I'm very sympathetic to that because I know, sure. you know, I know what a, what a, what a, domino effect it has if if yeah, you wind up like going a half day over or something you know well um, until you even point if you're missing the shots that you need for the scene. sure yeah 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 for sure for sure so yeah so i mean i think that like so i think i think that's why like oh he shot 12 pages of a web series in a day you know like mm-hmm. like okay he can do it <laughs> you know right. like it's like the one right. thing that i sort of like i get i'm like okay like i proved that i i knew how to like you know just literally to stuff the meat in the sausage. Mm-hmm. Right. Even well, though you've done a feature where you probably had to do that sure. too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's um, also like just the the vindication of they can be like, if their boss is like, well, who let Eric do this? They can be like, well, he shot 12 pages in one day. We thought he could do it. Right. Like, or, or they did it for another network, right? That's the catch 22 you were alluding to. So it's not that much about your creative talent as much as your ability to execute uh, i mean i think the, the the creative talent comes with like someone saying hey he can do this you know like someone like mike or morgan sackett who's you know produced the good place and a bunch of other things like veep and hacks you know um like you know the people the people that they trust to make the show are saying okay we think this guy can do it right um so that's the creative side and then the and then the kind of like make your day side i think it's just like the experience like what has he done like what can what can i what can i point mm-hmm. to i don't even need to watch it i need to like see that he did it <laughs> right yeah, truly yeah and then sorry just to ask about this one more time but how soon from when you started working with mike and these other people did you tell them that you want to direct like i told them in the interview the when i met them <laughs> oh really mm-hmm. yeah because like and, you know because smart people are never going to say like you know well sorry that'll never happen you know, but you can mm-hmm. sort of like tell from from their reaction, like, are they really open to this? And, you know, they immediately spoke about people like like Dean and, and Claire mm-hmm. Scanlon, who's mm-hmm. another director who we mm-hmm. edit for them. Um, you know, they were like, yeah, we, we, we like that. We, we like we like, you know, supporting people from our world from inside. And we specifically like editors. And so, you know, it, right. it, it was yeah. a good answer. Yeah. There is, there is like kind of this idea sometimes that. You shouldn't, if you apply for a job, you shouldn't tell them you want a different job, you know? Yes. Um, if, you, uh, wanna, sure. if you're applying to be a PA on a music video, you know, you know. Well, the, the difference being, though, it. like there are there are show creators and there are, are, are companies effectively that have a culture of promoting from within. And there are places that don't at all. And it yeah. is valuable, I think, for you to know. I mean, Eric, you were coming from a place of, you know, stability to some to some extent. You would ha- you had a, a career, you had a resume under your belt. So if you didn't get that job, it wouldn't be like, oh, well, now I'm destitute. Exactly. Right. But like, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I know so many editors who were like, dang, like just get stuck as assistants forever, forever, forever and never get promoted and then just move to a different show creator and just fly up the ranks immediately. And it's just kind of like, yes, there's a a style to each each different show and each different showrunner. And I think Mike Sure, I think, is kind of famous for being really good about promoting from within. Yes, yes. Although if you ask him about it, he would say it's because he doesn't like meeting new people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he just likes to have the same people just do more things. <laughs> yeah. So if you can PA for Mike Sir, you'll probably get exactly. an episode. There you go. There you go. In four years. <laughs> exactly. um, well, so so I'm curious, how do you feel now? After having having directed those episodes, you know, um, was it worth it? Do you like it? Or did you get how many episodes did you do? I did one. One. Um, it, it was. I mean, it was. A, it was wonderful. It was. It was a great mm-hmm. experience. You're not um, looking at any gift horses and any mouths for sure, no. right? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I I loved it. Um, and you know, it's a it's a funny thing. Like I think that uh, a few years ago, I would have been like, "This is it," you know, first step mm-hmm. one, and then like mm-hmm. you know, like would have been like like waking up every morning trying to figure out how to get episode two, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and, and I still, I still want to, and I still want to do more, but like something, the, the, the pandemic, uh, changed editing for the better. Um, we, almost every editor I know, including myself works from home now, uh, which, I, I guess this is personality specific for me and for almost everyone I know, it's a massive improvement. Um, you know, the, uh, not having to do the commute, um, just being, you know, in your own comfortable space, um, is, is delightful. Right. Uh, some of the hardest every day, pantsless, like, like now, uh, <laughs> um, w- one of the hardest things about editing is that, you're always kind of working on other people's schedules. You know, you're working with producers who are running back and forth from, from set. You're working with a director who maybe is like planning their next shoot, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's a like lot of late of nights. Pro- yeah. It's a lot of late nights and it's a lot of just like waiting around the edit room for someone to show up, you know? And when I'm waiting around in my house and mm-hmm. like, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, like watching, uh, a TV show or something, or, you know, like, sure. or, or yeah. playing with my kids or something. And then like, living your life. it's like, yeah. Hey, yeah, let's yeah. hop on, you know, it's dramatically better. Um, so, so that really improved. And then conversely directing got worse. And like, hopefully this is temporary. Obviously we all want this to be temporary, but like being in the masks is not that fun. Communicating mm-hmm. with actors and crew in the mask is pretty hard everything is like a little bit more, you know, it's like, it's it like, but like by now, a lot of, a lot of the kinks have worked out. So it's like mostly okay, but like, you know, you're still like slowing down every now and then because like mm-hmm. the COVID compliance officer is like, Oh, there's too many people in this, on this set, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, or someone gets sick or, or, or something, you know, there's a lot, there's a, there's like maybe like 10% more stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like 10% less camaraderie. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's a huge I mean, part of it. Mo- I would say more. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like it's less fun. You can't like sit. There's two people to each table still. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
Like you don't just get to hang out at lunch or like, you know, you don't even like shake people's hands, you know, like not that that makes such a difference, but there is like a thing of like saying hi and seeing each other's face. You don't know what half of someone's face looks like sometimes. Yeah. 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 You know, you no, see them at lunch and the you're real like, oh. problem when you have a set crush on someone and then you see the rest of their face at lunchtime and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> there, was a, was there, was an, there was an actor who I was working with in one scene and he was I was really funny and nice uh, and we had a great time. And then at the end, he was like, can we take a selfie? And I was like, totally. And we like took our masks off and he goes, oh, my God, that's what you look like. <laughs> and like, He wasn't kidding. Like he just like had something about the bottom of my face. It was just like very, yeah, all that's to say, um, I love the experience. I want to keep doing it, but it's not like I don't lie awake at night thinking about how I'm going to get the next episode, which I think is probably for the best, because from all that I've heard, you know, getting your first episode of TV is like impossible. Mm-hmm. And getting your second episode of TV is like slightly less impossible, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but still mostly impossible. Yeah, but still mostly impossible. Yeah, um, and then your so, third, then you're off to the races. Then you're fine. Then yeah, you're I mean, list. I think like like three or four, and then it's like you're doing you're you're like gangbusters. Yeah, yeah, just from what I yeah. right here. Um, but but yeah, but so I mean, what, you know, what, what, the question is, what was it worth it? Like. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I I guess that's not a good question, because, of course, you have to say it was worth it for for many, many reasons. I guess maybe better, like what 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 was better than you were hoping and Mm. what was maybe a little harder than you thought? Better for sure was just how awesome the crew was, just like how Mm. like awesome. Yeah, just you know, like, like we had three camera operators and they were, mm. each was like incredible, you know, yeah. and, and we could do anything, you know? And once you realize like, like, Oh, I have this, like, I have this tool that can like, it's like a hammer, but it can transform into a screwdriver. And it can, you know, like you just mm-hmm. realize like, I, like these people can do anything, mm-hmm. you know, like at one point we brought in a crane and it wasn't like, you know, like I, I asked for it days ahead of time, you know, but I was like, Oh, is there going to be a crane operator? But like one of the awesome camera operators just like jumped on the crane and sort of like operating the crane. And I was like, oh, you do that too. That's cool. And then I was like, wait, can the camera move up and then down and then straight? And he was like, it can do anything. And I'm like, that's incredible. (laughs) There is Uh, something about indie films and shorts and commercials where, you know, every day you're kind of rediscovering. The crew is like learning to work together and your idea mm-hmm. for this car rig or the mm-hmm. movie move or the yeah techno crane or whatever that you're so excited about and boarded, you know, so precisely. And then you're on set and you're like, uh, the camera can't move this way because they forgot this part or the, mm-hmm. like, there's all <laughs> these things where like, you know, uh, who directed, um, that wrestling movie with, uh, Steve Carell. Uh, Oh, Steve- oh, oh, Bennett Miller. Bennett Miller, yeah. yeah, I saw oh, him. Yeah, yeah. I saw him do like. We the were intro. thinking funny, where right. it was like, "Oh, is there any <laughs> yeah. wrestling movie?" Well, That'd right, be great. Right. First, yeah, first yeah. I was thinking Aronofsky for the right. 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 I was thinking win-win <laughs> for a second, but yeah, no, yeah. Foxcatcher. Um, he get, he did. I watched it, uh, uh, the movie, and he did did the intro to it, and he said that the you know when you make a movie, you have like what's in your head and what's on the monitor. And like your whole job is to try to bring those two things as close to each other. They'll they'll never be the same thing. Um, But then I think when maybe you're working on TV or something and you're like, Hey, I want to have like a nice over the shoulder shot or like close up, or maybe we'll follow this character into this house. And you imagine it'll be like 
okay because the hundred last times you did it it was like okay and then all of a sudden the operator is like doesn't you're like wow that's so much better than Mm -hmm. i expected can you also (laughs) orbit around them and like yeah and the things that like in past experiences when you're like let's start removing things because we made it too i imagined it too complicated but but you know i think yeah i have not really had that experience too much where be, where I get dropped into like a super seasoned crew that works mm-hmm. like right. a machine, except, you know, um, when I Matt directed some stuff for Ellen and I was drone operating. So I kind of like was just mm-hmm. on the sidelines. Um, and though that camera that, team, that team, yeah, yeah. They're, they were, like, a you don't even meld. need to direct them. They just, they're like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll be here, here, here. Does that work? And Matt's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, maybe you get this, make sure to catch this moment. And that's it, you know, yeah. or as opposed yes. to like, me, I'm like, okay, so what we're doing is, yeah, no, that that's not Mike. That's my, you know, like trying to explain to them who, what we're even shooting, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, this is very much the, the Ellen version. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. I want to ask, because part of my, like, unexpectedly enjoyable part of it was actually how much I just liked the crew personally. Mm-hmm. Like, they were all just, like, interesting men and women. They all had, like, interesting stories. And I just, like wanted to hear their stories and they clearly liked the fact that I wanted to hear their stories. You were and, like, and oh, I've been locked in an office for a decade. It got in my head that like I've heard people say that I can't remember, like I'm gonna paraphrase, but it's like you know, like don't don't care about the crew liking you or like the crew shouldn't like you or some or some some you know thing. And I'm like, does, like where does that come from? You know, because I just kind of feel like like A, it's super fun. Mm-hmm. you know like getting to know people in general and be like it felt like when like on by day three when they were like oh this guy is nice and like and like and respectful and like is always saying nice things to me i felt like they were doing better work you know like mm-hmm. like like i wonder what you guys think about this i there you know i do uh, you're not uh, you're not there to make friends that's what it was right, you're not there to make right, friends. right. <laughs> well I, I do remember an ad once telling me and this was on probably the longest thing I ever did. It was like, it was the go 90 series. It was eight half hour episodes. So it was long. Like it was, we were, it was the same crew the whole way through. It was awesome. I loved all of them, but I do remember my AD telling me like, sometimes you're going to have to ask this crew to do things they don't want to do. And I think, I think there, you can't let the mentality of like, these people are my friends stop you from, making them stay late when they yeah. they don't want to or because murder someone you or murder someone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. on a show like this show was weird it was there's a lot of stunts and there you know like there's a lot of different moving parts and so it was hard and tiring and so even though they were a well-oiled machine at a certain point i was like you you know you're always confronted with a thought of like oh i could do it the easy way or i could do the good way and right. I know the good way is gonna like mean that my Steadicam operator is gonna have to sprint, you know, every single take to get it right or whatever, whatever it is. And you know, that I think may be where that mentality comes from. But a hundred percent, you can be friends with your crew, and you should be friends with your crew because it is fun, and also they mm-hmm. will do better work. Yeah. yeah, I think it it is like a balance, and it it's why the crew matters so much because. If you have a really good crew, then you can be friends with them and they'll impress you and you can say like, hey, what do you think about this shot? And they'll come up with a better shot or they'll mm-hmm. be like, I love it. Let's do it. You know, um, I, I do find when I have like really solid crew members, 
that like trying to get them engaged in like the decision making makes them mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. they want to stay late and nail it and give me, you know, give me one more chance. I think I can mm-hmm. get that. Like, yeah. Um, but when the crew's not great or they're grumpy or whatever, like you have a costume designer that like kind of brought the wrong costume and you're like, well, can you, can you fix that? Can you sew that? And they're like, well, I mean, I could drop everything now and go to, you know, the mall and buy the new things if you really hate this thing, you know? <laughs> and then your choice is either like, well, I want to get the thing that I asked for or like, I guess this mm-hmm. thing you got, it's not right, but it'll work, you know? <laughs> and I don't yeah. want you to yeah. be pissed off at me because I have a hundred other things I need from you today. So yeah. I think that that's probably the more typical situation where, I don't know, I Matt and I are kind of like this, like debate this all the time, but I think, especially in a commercial, even a feature film or something, if you're making something that is going to represent you as a filmmaker, that's going to potentially put you on the map or get you the next job or whatever. I should point out literally every single time Oren's like, we, we disagree. Matt's going to disagree with me strongly and does all the time. (laughs) He will say something that I like staunchly agree with. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, but finish your thought and then I'll, I'll let you know. I yeah. will answer honestly. <laughs> um, but, but like, I think at the end of the day, all that matters is what's, um, like for your career is what is the final edited piece. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the experience on set while the fun of directing is having fun on set, you know, that's mm-hmm. why we want to do this. Um, but it doesn't, matter beyond beyond that day you know and I, I think one of my weaknesses as a director is that i focus on that i want people to have a good time i want people mm-hmm. to be happy i want people, people pleasing I to do good work yeah. and i've even been told yeah. by producers like that i'm not selfish enough that i'm like mm-hmm. you know a, a little agree on the agreeable side and if i want i really want a shot because i think it'll be cool for my reel or my website or my director's cut and there isn't time for it it's the first one i'm going to cut Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm not fighting for the stuff that I know that like the client or the producer or whatever doesn't want. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think in that situation, like <clears throat> being nice to the crew, making it fun for the crew is can be a detriment for the final product. So, yeah. I don't yeah. know. That, like, like you shouldn't prioritize someone's like the crew's feelings over the final yes. product. But if the crew <laughs> is making the final product better, um, and yeah. the happier they are, the better the product is, then you should by all means be friends with your crew and be nice. I mean, you it should just, always it, be it, nice. It's, it seems like it's not, at least in my very limited experience, it's not hard to do both. Right. Like it's yeah. not hard to, to get the thing that you think is important and that you want. And also to, I mean, it's not even like, you know, it, it's, it's like literally like every time after every take, I'd be like, that was a great move or like, mm-hmm. or that, that light looks great. Or, you know, it's just like little things like that. Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think, I think, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've heard so many stories of people who were on set and just said a nice word to, you know, the camera mm-hmm. operator or something. And like, you know, some like seasoned guy done like, you know, has been shooting for 20 years or something would just light up and just be like, Oh wow. Thanks. You know, cause like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that that's the norm. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think that's true. I think that yeah. like, it's easy for people to be taken for granted, you know? Yeah. And, and that is a good takeaway to remember to tell people 
that are doing things you like that you like those things. Yeah. I think yeah. some Maybe. of it sometimes yeah. is that like some people, depending on what their background is, don't know that what they're doing, what their crew is doing at all, A, or B, that it's hard. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like because they're so seasoned, they make it look easy. But like because you've done so many things where you didn't have the resources, you your, your person didn't have the skill to pull it off. It's a delight when they do it. And yeah. like those people got great at their craft because they love it. And so, of course, they love being acknowledged for nailing it. Yeah. Matt and I always disagree about this, but you should be a good person. <laughs> wow, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Then finally, you got one right, Oren. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, and I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like champagne problems also, like to work with like the best yeah. people in the, in, in the business. Well, but, but, but you bring out, I think Eric's point is that you bring out even better work with people when you're all having a good time and collaborating together. And I think it makes the thing that, Oren, you were saying a little bit easier, right? We're going to hit those speed bumps where, shoot, you do need to do it again because it was out of focus. But because your you know, focus puller knows that you appreciate them, they're not mad at you when you're like, yeah, yeah I was a little soft on that one. Let's do it again. I will say when focus is good on a really hard shot, I try to call it out where I think a lot of people don't realize that yeah. it was hard. Yeah. You know, like I'll be yeah. like, I know this is like a really, you know, 100 millimeter lens. Someone's running right towards us. I know this is tricky. Yeah. 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 Um, good job. Yeah. And um, also, like, it's I get excited when they nail it, too. Like knowing how hard it is, like it, there's a there's a camaraderie to like the visceral feeling of someone else. Totally. It feels yeah. like it, that's the closest I get to a team sport, I guess. Is what I'm saying. Then you get it into the edit bay yeah. and it's totally yeah, yeah. out of focus. Like, oh, <laughs> Eric, you were going to say um, something important. Well, you asked, I was just going to so pivot. You asked like, um, I think you said surprisingly hard or difficult. You know, I, I knew that I had to be flexible because I knew at some point, at any point, the showrunner could walk on set and just be like, no, I don't, I, I don't want you to do it that way. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was a possibility and i thought that i was like prepared for every contingency you know but i just wasn't because you just can't be right Mm -hmm. and so i think like you know and this is so like we talked earlier about commercials right on commercials you probably have like the least amount of control in this like range of things Mm -hmm. you know like your your like indie movie passion project you probably have like the most amount of control uh tv's squarely in the middle you know there's a lot of things where it's like you you do get to choose your coverage you do get to mostly choose your blocking and you know mm-hmm. you're uh, there's a lot of things that are just up to you and then there's some things that, that the showrunner just cares a lot about they care a lot about you know the what this character is wearing because they're like you know this character always needs to be projecting this specific image and, and this, we've written this person mm-hmm. from day one and they need to be wearing this mm-hmm. you know and so learning like what they care about and what they don't care about and like where there's you know spend your energies but just in the heat of the moment you know maybe you're like falling a little bit behind you're like okay we gotta we gotta hurry and then and then having a say like hey look i didn't i didn't like that i didn't like that the way that looked i want you to do it again and, and like mm-hmm. you know frame frame out this thing you know and that's part of the job that's it everyone knows that's what it is and it's really hard you know and there's no mm-hmm. way to like like no like have like a plan b for every possible thing <laughs> that sure. needs to change and, and most of the time it's it's fine it's like an easy thing you just do it one more time differently you know but sometimes it's like oh wow okay you want something that's going to require additional setup and that setup mm-hmm. 
it's going to take another half an hour, <laughs> you know, mm. and that kind of thing. I, I guess, I guess I shouldn't say it was surprisingly difficult. I knew that would be difficult, but I think, I think I thought that I would be better at like rolling with the punches. And it's not like I like lost my mind or, or like, mm-hmm. you know, broke down and started throwing things or that kind of thing. You know, I just, I got a couple of times I got like surprised. Flustered. Yeah. Yeah. Surprised oh, yeah. and like, and like, and kind of like, okay, okay. You sure. know? Yeah. And, and and I was like so good at keeping my cool up until that moment because it is you know I mean you're sort of like, like there's a hundred people on set who are there mm-hmm. to do what you say you know and it's a lot of pressure and not a lot of anxiety and it was all going really well and it did go like ninety nine percent well but like I always run back in my head those like one or two moments where like you know a, a wrench got thrown in the works and I was like wow I'm I'm like spiraling a bit right now, you know, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. pulled pulled it back together. And I actually like kind of like, you know, reached out to some director friends who've done a lot of TV and sort of asked how they deal with it. And the answers were great. It made me feel a lot better. It was basically like, it's always terrible and there's no good way to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> and so just, just to, for people that don't have a lot of experience in the TV world, just to clarify what you're talking about is... You're pretty much the boss on set. You have a schedule. You're trying to shoot 12 pages a day mm-hmm. or whatever on this show that has a budget and a network and all sorts of pe- um, and just people. Just to reiterate, just to remind, if you don't make your day, that is the main indicator of whether or not you are hireable again for the next job. Right. You're a good director. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, and so you are trying to hurry through and do everything and you're just about done with the scene and then someone comes in and says, Hey, we think you should also get this additional setup. That's, that's not a trivial one. It's not like just switch to a tighter lens and get another take. It's like, make sure you get it from this angle. Cause we really want to have these two characters in the shot together, or we want and, to see and, the and door. The crucial, the, the crucial thing to understand is that like, that is normal. And that is ultimately probably good because <laughs> most, most TV has like one person whose job it is to keep the show the show, you know, to make sure the mm-hmm. show is the same. And that is the showrunner. That is, you know, the showrunner is often the creator, sometimes, you know, the, the head writer, whatever. But is a director can come on and direct an episode or two and maybe like have not even watched the show. You know, that, mm-hmm. that happens a like surprising number of times. So that showrunner has, has an incredibly important job, which is to make sure that the show is always with the same tone and voice and that kind of thing. So it's, it's good that person's there just sometimes hard to, to sure. and do yeah. you show the showrunner your shot list and your blocking your overhead diagrams all those things before you shoot your show your episode if it's a normal scene where it's just like you know two people are sitting having a conversation like no if it's like oh here's a gag it's like a big visual like you know someone it's like a reveal or, mm-hmm. or someone runs into a room or something then then yes um it's sort of just like if if, if the blocking and the coverage affects a joke then yes, but other but otherwise not necessarily. Right, and right. you've gone over all the blocking and shots with the DP before you get to set, yes. obviously, right? And so the first AD. So they might at some point say, like, by the way, they usually don't use this. I mean, you know this show, obviously. You edited mm-hmm. this show. Right. So so you're a special exception to this rule. So yes, you know yes, what yes. how this show gets covered. But but hundred percent, yes. The the DP is is often like the first line of defense where they'll say, you know, because you'll be shot lifting with the DP before you even maybe have an extensive conversation with the showrunner and they'll say like, you know, we don't really do a lot of handheld. Like, you know, maybe we do it in some instances, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't plan on shooting this handheld or like, yeah, we, you know, we don't, we don't use a lot of dollies or whatever, you know, they'll, they'll let you know. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And then did you find it difficult to put like your own spin on the episode or was that something that was important to you? I got a little bit lucky in that just luck of the draw. I wound up in an episode where, where they leave the characters leave town. Mm. So we ended up, you know, I think 90% of the episode happens on sets that were new locations that were new, that kind of thing. So that was actually wonderful for for me to be able to kind of like put my stamp on a couple of little things. Um, you know, it's not like I, you know, it's not like I'm like Quentin Tarantino going into direct an episode of ER. Um, <laughs> like it wasn't like dramatically different, but did everyone remember that? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Did he do that? This yeah. is like the, the heyday of ER. It was like the awesome. most watched show on television. And Quentin Tarantino directed an episode and it was like bonkers. <laughs> great, great, good. <laughs> but yeah, no, I got to put a little bit, little bit of a stamp. Two other things surprised me. Go through them very quickly. One is how easy it is to lose momentum. You know, in the beginning you get there and you're full of nervous energy and you're just like, okay, we're, we're making something. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's shoot. Let's shoot. You know? And by day three, like you are getting comfortable. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, like, like everyone knows me now and like, I'm like, shoot the shit. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. and you just realize that like, it's not like you're just like sitting there for half an hour having a conversation and and people are like, what the hell's happening? You know, 30 seconds here, you know, Mm -hmm. a minute there, like little things. And like, obviously you have an AD, you have like a crew, like keeping things going, but like everyone takes their cues from the top. And I just noticed that like that little shift in my energy of like, just being like a little bit more comfortable actually slowed us down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we actually like lost a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's why you can't become momentum. You can't become friends with the crew. How many times I have to <laughs> I tell know, you? I know. <laughs> well, it, so, it yeah, does make me think of uh, earlier before where you were talking about uh, a moment where you got, uh, you know, caught off guard when the showrunner came in with a note. The I think the thing that I that's tricky about all of that is that like everything is so precisely planned. You're talking about like, Oh, you lose 30 seconds here. And all of a sudden the momentum of a show slows down. You know, the train gets a little slower, uh, outside of lunch. There's not really any time for you to just take a deep breath and take stock of things. And that's the problem. If you, if, if you just had like a five minute smoke break every single hour to just like think real quick and like, you know, check shots off and like double check, like, Oh, maybe we need to, we can consolidate the shot. I just realized or whatever it is, yeah. you would go that much faster, but it's just like, there's no water break. You're just constantly running on that yeah. treadmill. I mean, I guess there's like moving from setup to setup. Um, yes. And, and have a moment and, to yeah. think. To panic. And absolutely. Although what I realized was that like the best thing for me to be doing during that time was running lines with the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. because you know something like we we'd get more comfortable with the lines and then sometimes we'd find like a little moment to add a joke or something like that you know so it was like there really you're, you're i my experience was, was what matt was talking about like there wasn't any moment to sort of stop you know Wait, so you're um, i actually we didn't even really talk about directing actors and stuff i guess i always think of tv as like the actors know the characters so much better than you you know um how much like were they were the actors receptive? I mean, obviously they probably know you from working on the show, but were they receptive to you coming and standing with them and giving your opinion on their performances and how they can make things funnier? Absolutely, yeah. They they wanted it. In my experience, you know, an actor wants 
feedback. They, they always want feedback. They, you know, even if it's like, this is great, you know, keep going in that direction. But so, yeah, it's not like I'm like there to be like, you know, Ed Helms, like your character mm-hmm. isn't really like, you know, it's funnier if these two sentences come quicker, you know, mm-hmm. or, or if it's actually it's funnier if you stop and kind of like think for a second, you know, like little comedy tweaks for sure. Did you think those out like ahead of time? Did you have notes on your script that you're like, oh, maybe I'll like some performance ideas or alts or anything? Some, yeah, a few. Yes, yes. Um, I wouldn't say for every scene, but, but you know, for, for some. And then, but then sometimes you just like, you know, I mean, Ed is a, is a very, very talented improv guy and he would like come up with an improv and, and then I would like maybe add to it and be like, oh, that's great. You know, try this version where you then kind of go into this run, sort of guiding him that way. You can't just do it by yourself. You can't mm-hmm. just be up there flailing around, you know, you need to sort of, you need someone to say like, this is working or like, this is working, but it needs to be half as long or something. Did, do you ever well, pitch a joke and they're like, eh, nah. No, but there were a couple of times where I pitched a joke to Ed and he would say, I don't think my character would say that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'd be like, totally, totally understand. Right. When you were editing the show, you were one of the main people who decided what take got picked. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so there is this like, or at least you were there when, a take got swapped out and you know the final sure. take was picked right so that does give you an insight that probably most other directors and none of the cast really has do you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah did was that ever brought up in any way or like there was that there was that the subtext or is this the first time you're thinking of it i think it is some as like a couple times i had rehearsed like like you know you sort of go through your head of like all the different versions of how mm-hmm. it can go and i i remember like at one point you know because because i always i mean the thing that we're always working in the edit for comedies we're always trying to punch, do the speed uh, just tighten the speed tighten the mm-hmm. air get get everything moving faster get everything sort of punchier and so part of what i was trying to go for on set was to try to create as much of that speed and energy as possible um so i didn't have to like be cranking it in the edit um and I was expecting a like a little pushback, a little bit of the actors who were being like, that's, that's, I can't say that that fast. It seems crazy. It feels crazy. And then sort of like I paired, I prepared the speech of sort of being like, well, this is what we have to do in the edit in order to get to that speed. Mm-hmm. Eventually we have to like cut away from you at this key moment because we need to like stitch together two lines or that kind of thing, you know? So if you can mm-hmm. do, and I, I wound up not ever having to give that speech because the, the actors were like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Fast. Sure. Oh, fast. <laughs> cool, yeah. You put your, I, ass- back in your I assume yeah, exactly. you threatened them a lot by saying that you'll use their worst takes if they didn't do things that you liked, right? Yes, yes, for sure. No, I mean mm-hmm. Ed, Ed did actually have a runner where he were where I would I would be like, you know, can you can you do it this way? And he'd be like, well, only if you don't use it. <laughs> he'd be like, I right. promise I will not use it. You said there was a third takeaway. The third takeaway was what an abject failure i was at seeing my work clearly in the edit uh Mm. which was something that was very very depressing to me because as someone who's done the other side of that so many times working with directors working with first-time directors um and just like like walking them through something and being like look man like or look woman, you know, like, I know you, you, you remember this happening this way on, on the day, but like, 
look at the footage with me, like it's not working, or we need to do it this way, or actually this thing that you see and is and you think is terrible is actually great. You know, like your experience is clouded so much by your experience on set or your way of your your mm-hmm. you know reaction to it. And I was like, I, I I can short circuit that crazy mental problem because I've gone through it so many times, you know, and I just couldn't. Like I just I like could not see it. I couldn't mm-hmm. like I would watch a scene and I'd be like, I have I don't know if that is crap or good mm-hmm. uh or or too fast or too slow or or anything you know um and eventually eventually i could and it just it happened it just had it has to happen it had to be like watching it over and over again and like and like smoothing out a lot of the edges because that would be something where it'd be like i'd watch something and I'd, and i'd see like like a weird camera shutter or a blink or something like that and i'd be like rationally that shouldn't destroy my appreciation of the scene but it just did so let's fix that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? so you're like just your face is just in you're just thinking about production and so you can't think about the edit is that what you mean or it, it's it's partially that it's partially just like just so in my own head of like did i do a good job like did i you know did i it, it, it does this feel like an episode of this tv show like did i somehow mm-hmm. create something totally weird and different and wrong you know Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have any like great, complete understanding of exactly why it was so hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it happens so often, uh, with, with directors, even directors who have directed like a ton, you know, like I've done like some of my best, I know, I know there have been episodes of TV that I've edited where I like just nailed the edit. Like I just mm-hmm. got it right. And like 99% of it didn't change. And you show it to the director and they're like, Okay. Okay. That's a good start. You know, and you're like, sure. no, dude, this is great. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> this is the best we got. Um, did it change your relationship to the editor? I assume you knew this editor beforehand, right? You, you know, like, this did was, it? Yeah. Yeah. How did it evolve? Um, I guess I'm curious. So, so my normal assistant um, named Keith Mahoney, who, um, He's actually co-edited a couple episodes of The Good Place and Roll for Falls with me. So we work together a lot. Um, he edited it. Great. And Great. I don't think it changed our relationship. No. I mean, I think <laughs> that, um, you know, I think that, like, I was, like, apologized a lot to him for being a crazy person. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think he understood. Um, yeah. It is. I mean, it is a really good lesson to just get another point of view. If you direct and edit your own stuff just how important it is to get another point of view on the edit because yes. Yeah. We're all guilty of like, I'll watch something that I shot and I'll be like, Oh, why did I, why did we not, you know, just pan over to the right a little bit or why didn't we do this? Mm -hmm. Or why didn't like, I think in terms of the camera or why didn't the performance or why didn't I have her do it a little faster? Like I start Mm -hmm. second guessing my decisions on set when in reality you're in the edit and like all you should focus on is like, if this shot is working for you know the scene or whatever you yeah know, you're creating yes. it doesn't matter there's, there's a lot of letting go that that you need to do and um and that's how that that is hard sometimes i i will time. say sometimes editors will be like well why didn't you get this shot and i'll <laughs> no. that's the, I, that is me at Nobody literally my most that. defensive some editors are yeah they, i definitely they're not like why didn't you get this shot but that yeah, is they'll be what like oh did you mean. get an answer to this i didn't find it 
Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you guys have an awful <laughs> lot of takes of this one. Do you get anything else? Or like, you know, there's some, mm-hmm. you know, that's, yeah. it's always informed by the thing of like, well, what you're, you weren't on set. You don't know, you know, yes. the, the, there's literally a fire burning behind us and, you know, or whatever. Uh, and that's right. me being yeah. purely defensive. Like, you know, obviously that's, that's me, not oh. them, but, um, but it the is, worst is when I'm like, yeah, and tell the editor, like, I know we got that. We got the take where she said it this way, you know? And they're like, yeah. no, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah, best is I when guess. the AE just missed that take and you're like, no, she pull up the raw and then you find it. Yeah. <laughs> never on, never with Eric's edit team. They don't miss That's right. anything. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> My last question about your TV directing slash editing is, look at your life and your career moving forward from here. What's the ideal thing? Like you kind of edit half the time and direct Mm -hmm. half the time, or would the more ideal thing be to just direct 10 episodes a year and not edit ever again? Yeah, no, I mean, it's something I think about a lot and, you know, we could probably have a whole podcast on kids and like, and like directing or, or filmmaking. And that's a huge part of it. I love my kids. I love spending time with them. And, you know, the idea of directing, you know, 10, 12 episodes a year, there's no way they're all going to be in LA. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I, that scares me of just like, how do I make that work? And, and all that. The short answer is I, I don't really know. Maybe the next time you have me on your podcast, I can uh, <laughs> give you an update. But I think, I think, I think the ideal for now is I would love to direct another episode this year, mm-hmm. 2022. And if that happens, I'll be very happy. And if it doesn't, We'll probably be pretty happy. Eric, I think that you should continue to edit some of the best shows on TV and then pick up two episodes a season on whatever show you're on. That to me sounds right. like a like a perfect life. I'm gonna go and then, you it. know, a feature in between seasons or whatever, whenever you're in the mood. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that could either be directing or editing, you know, right. wh- whatever way the wind blows. That That's my, um, that sounds you, good, you, man. You, that sounds you, good. Give me a goal. I'm going to do it. truly though that's like a work-life balance you're scratching all of the itches you have tons of creative input on shows that you're proud of that sounds pretty good um circling back a tiny bit i guess when we first talked about having you on the show i kind of kept thinking about every once in a while and it's happened more and more later in my career i've just been struck with like a brief feeling that i hate directing (laughs) like why the fuck am i doing this do you know what i mean just you know like it's especially hard maybe you're especially tired it's especially thankless you know there's the the there's a grueling grind to it you know you're just Mm kind of like all right well the next shot we know it's an over the shoulder we've all shot this a thousand times and i'm gonna make it as funny as i can i guess and it goes away. I had that feeling. And then I thought to myself, well, Eric's got this fulfilling creative career on the other side of the camera or the other side of the production pipeline, I guess you should yeah. say. And so when I say, like, was it worth it? That's really what I'm talking about. Right. You know, I know I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. I feel that feeling often when I think about directing. Uh, and I always think about the fact that... 15 years ago, when sure. I was first starting out as an editor, I felt those exact, that exact same way about editing, mm. you know, that, mm-hmm. um, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it was, was, yeah, 
like kind of fear and exhaustion and like anxiety and mm-hmm. and all these things and it's not like it ever went away completely but it over the years just became sort of like a dull background hum mm-hmm. that is almost gone you know um mm-hmm. and so in theory i mean you know we have a, a, a sample size of one but in theory, I'm hoping that same thing happens <laughs> with directing. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and I, that it just becomes, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if some of it is like, oh, I, I spent my whole life dreaming about this job and working towards it. And life is always hard. And like, yeah. it's just dealing with that realization. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have two kind of thoughts on that. I think one to me, like the thing that's been on my mind a lot lately is that I think, and I, and I'm pretty sure this is wrong, but I get this feeling that the harder I work on directing, the better director I will be, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. like now, you know, I told you, Eric, I have two treatments due this week. I feel like the more hours I put into them, the better treatments they'll be and the better Mm -hmm. chance I will have to get the job. Um, and then that is always like, in my brain, but on the other side of my brain, it's like, Hey, I don't want to like be up all night writing treatments and looking for images and making this 5% better and tweaking this and trying to outthink the other directors that I'm up against, you know, like that, yeah. like that doesn't sound fun to me. It actually like sounds exhausting. And yeah, I mean the hustle, like the hustle is for me, the hardest part and the most mm-hmm. unpleasant part. And it's essentially why I chose this path because I basically realized that like I could, you know, do good work and earn, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of cred as an editor doing something that I was good at and, and, and find my way to directing that way, as opposed to like wowing someone with a pitch or in a meeting or something, mm-hmm. which I just mm-hmm. like, just never gotten great at. Um, right. Well, yeah. that's the other realization I've had is like, you know, I look at people like you or like our friend Blake, you know, who owns a company and is a EP there, but he also directs a ton, but I see him getting, sometimes more satisfaction out of producing or being like on the creative side with a different director than actually directing himself, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's like, Mm -hmm. like to me, I mean, that's my primary job in life as a director right now, but I, I could see myself being just as happy working with other directors and like either Mm -hmm. being a producer or a writer or creative director or editor. Like to me, touching the creative process is, become more exciting on something that I'm excited about has been more, more interesting to me than having the title of director. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I think the title of director is the thing that, that is the most right for me on a project, but other times, like, I don't, I don't want to go on a hundred scouts to find the perfect place for this, but I have an opinion on it and I'd love to team up with someone else on it. So I do think, you know, in the, in the long run, a career as a director is, there's a lot of hustle, even if you're very successful. And a career in the creative arts can be creatively fulfilling and not <laughs> destroy your life. We uh, we haven't ended on a down note, have we? Are we? No, no. <laughs> does, does this happen sometimes? Do you guys feel like introspective at the very end? And, and yeah, you know, every time. Questions yeah, like, the last hundred episodes, Eric. <laughs> you you started it uh, 250 episodes ago. No, I, I to me, I think it is actually like a high note because it, it takes away that goal of like i must direct you know Mm -hmm. the next hbo show and i must direct the next marvel movie and be like hey i'd be pretty happy if i was one of the creative team that made this cool campaign or that 
sold yeah. this show, even if I'm not directing it. There is the thing of learning what directing really is, right? When you start at film school, most people say they want to be a director. There's a couple people who want to be DPs or editors or whatever, but like the the crop, 80%, right. they're like, I'm going to be a writer director. And that's because they think that all of their favorite movies, a writer director was responsible for them, right? And then slowly they realize, oh, this job is is not what I thought it was, right? And then at a certain point, it's just a handful of people who are deciding that they still want to do it. And then you learn really what the job is. And I guess there's, I think we're kind of at the top of that peak. And now we get to decide where else we want to go, whether it's better to like continue to do what, what essentially we're saying is that directing is a lot of labor and that you can still be as creatively influential in a lot of ways that make your life tangibly better. <laughs> Right. Like editing being to bring it full circle, editing from home, your quality of life is better. So you have to be addicted to directing specifically, not just making great creative work, but like the act of scouting 100 locations to find the the perfect one has to still be fulfilling to you in order for it to be worth it. What I'm saying is that 99.9% of the time, yes. And then every once in a while, I'm like, dang. It's not right now. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. That's a pretty think, good percentage, honestly. Yeah, it is. I think it, I'm living my dream. It sounds like I'm complaining. I'm truly yeah. living my dream. Yeah. I, I think good. 99% of the onset time, it's worth it. 80% of the prep time, it's worth it. 70% of the post time, it's worth it. And like 10% of the other times, it's worth it. I think it's really only pitching and like those really demoralizing hard moments. Yeah, or almost, like, almost, you, almost you getting love, it. You love prep. You love post. You love that stuff, Warren. Yeah, that's why I give, You're give, it, water. give it 80% and 70%. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just the like, you know, probably what most of our listeners are doing. They're trying to get things greenlit, trying to yeah. convince people to hire you as a director, trying to, yeah. you know, say like, yeah, I directed a movie. I directed this short. I edited like 800 episodes of TV. And mm-hmm. you don't think I'm like good enough to direct this episode? Like... To me, that that stuff sometimes is overwhelming. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 The politics of it. Yeah. yeah. But hey, it's all yeah. fun. That, that's- it, it, it is. It is. It is. I've. I've. It. It's a. It feels like a. A, a completely different set of skills. Mm-hmm. To like get the job and do the job. Right. You know. Yeah. And like, and and some people, you know, can combine the two, and they're they're really truly at the at the peak yeah we know their uh, names right <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we know their names. um but yeah but most of us I mean, I, and i know directors who are really great in the room and pitching and who i just don't think are very good directors you know yeah. and uh, on set you know and mm-hmm. it's just it's sometimes you get one or the other well eric do you mind sticking around to give us an unpaid endorsement unpaid endorsements so I've got two endorsements. Um, I'm going to take a quick survey. What do you two think is the single best place that has the single best comment threads on all of the internet? Reddit. You're or wrong. next door. <laughs> You're wrong. You're wrong twice, Oren. <laughs> uh, the New York Times cooking section is mm-hmm. nothing but great stuff. This is my rubric, basically. Better than Deadline. <laughs> yeah 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 better than deadline boy for listeners who don't deadlines comments really 
truly, truly depressing. As an antidote to that, the New York Times cooking section, all of the comments are germane. They're all thoughtful. They're all smart. And most of the time, it's like people reporting back with their results and their tweaks, which is like exactly what you're looking for in a recipe, right? For instance, I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I wonder if I could substitute oat milk in this one. And you know, of course, a ton of people already had. They had some thoughts. Some people did this or that or whatever. It's like exactly what you want out of a comment section. So the New York Times cooking section, in particular, those comments are worth it. And uh, you can get a separate subscription, a digital subscription just for the cooking section if you would, if you don't want to pay for the whole newspaper. My other one is a record uh, called Mother Load by James Brown. It's like mostly old, like deep cuts. It's kind of like vault recordings, basically. So it feels like mostly jam sessions. And the reason that I'm endorsing it specifically, besides being a longtime James Brown fan, is that it is great to write to. It's not especially melodic or verse based. It's got the energy that you want out of like something that's driving and fun and energetic. But it's not distracting the way most pop songs are. The format isn't front and center. They're just kind of like riffing in a way that it's still as fun as you can ask for. So uh, Mother Lotus, the endorsement. Also, that was the record playing when my daughter was born. And the doctor was like, uh, this is great. It feels like we're in a movie right now. That's cool. And I was like, that's great. And so there was a mother being <laughs> there was a mother load. Mother unloaded. So if, if you want to write or give birth and make it feel like an Ocean's Eleven movie, uh, Mother Load is your is your record. Eric, what you got, buddy? Um, it's very funny that that my endorsement has the word mother in it as well. Oh. Um, I, uh, I, one of the things that I enjoyed most in life before the pandemic was going out to restaurants. And that has been a, a spotty affair for the past mm-hmm. couple of years. But this week, my wife and I decided to have a nice meal at a restaurant called Mother Wolf, which is a new restaurant in Hollywood. It's a restaurant by a chef named Evan Funke, I believe. I probably said his mm-hmm. name completely wrong. Um, he has a crazy, like, yeah, exactly. Um, it's like a sort of Nordic sounding name, but he's actually Italian. He's excellent. Uh, he's a restaurant in, in Venice called Felix, uh, oh, which is yes. also very good. I had um, reservations for there for New Year's pre-Omicron, and they, they called us go. to tell us they're not going to be open. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, well, now you don't have to go all the way to the west side to uh, try his food because he opened up a new restaurant in Hollywood called Mother Wolf. It's in the Citizen News Building, which is an incredible old Hollywood building. Mm-hmm. Um, the space has been like redone, and it's just a, a gorgeous, gorgeous space, just giant ceilings. Uh, everything's beautiful. Um, the food was incredible. The staff was amazing. And it just had this like, it had this joyous energy to it. People were very, very happy to be out and mm-hmm. eating good food in a good restaurant. And so, you know, I, I'd say in general, everyone's got their own feelings about risk. But if you have any desire to do so, please do. And please go to a restaurant like Mother Wolf where, where just, you know, you'll just have a great time. Well, that was a perfect way to bridge endorsements because, A, you know, I have a son named Wolf. And because we all have kids now, I'm going to give three endorsements that are kid related. And if you don't have kids, you can just stop listening to the podcast right now. (laughs) Sorry. I apologize. I'll try to give these pretty fast. First of all, if you have a kid and it's their birthday, you know, you can create like a registry for your kid's birthday so that your family actually gives them something that you don't have to throw away. 
Amazon is the most obvious place you can make like a wish list for a birthday, but do it because we've, you know, if you have a newborn, sometimes you have 800 swaddle blankets, but you don't have enough onesies that your baby just grew out of or whatever. So just kid birthday gift registry. And then another thing kid related is, you know, there's this general annoyance people have, especially people without kids. When you start posting a million pictures of your kid on Instagram, what we found works best for our kid photos is we have a Apple shared album Mm -hmm. and you can... Just because it's like a shared album doesn't mean only your family can be in it. So we have like our friends that want to see pictures of our kid are shared on this album. And then we have no qualms about uploading 20 photos because we just went on a trip or something where you should never upload 20 photos of your kid to Instagram. Yeah. Make an album for your family and your close friends and mention it to your friends. If they want to see photos, they will. If they don't, they just will not respond. And then my last thing, this is like a kind of good pandemic trick is uh it, we have a crib, you know, for our baby. And we also had, uh, it's the same crib that our daughter, our older daughter slept in. And on the wall, we had a lot of our family lives all over the world. My fa- I have family in Israel, Kara's family is in Ohio. And so we got this like string and little, uh, you know, C47s, when you call them, clothespins. <laughs> and we have pictures of all our family members, the step family, the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents, everyone that are just like hanging above the crib. And then like our kids get to see what like, like they know who all the family members are, even though there's a pandemic going on and all those things. So just a, a cool idea. I think it was my wife saw it somewhere and we been, we did it with our daughter and now with our son. And now like, hopefully when he meets his grandfather, then he doesn't, hasn't seen for two years, he'll know who he is, you know, because there's pictures of the family members. So that's it. Three kid things. If you don't have kids, you can tune back in now. Anyway, well, Eric, thanks so much. Uh, if people want to follow you, do you post pictures of your kids publicly or anything? I do post. I post a lot of pictures of my kids. Actually, I haven't for a while, but but you can you can go to my Instagram at Eric Kisak. Eric Kisak. K-I-S-S-A-C-K. And Eric, do you have a, sure. a website that you're updating at all or anything like that? Or uh... Uh, I have a website that occasionally gets updated, but if you're if you're curious to see any of my short films or um, the web the good place web series, you can see that all there. It's erickisak.com. E-R-I-C-K-I-S-S-A-C-K.com. Well, if you have any questions about this episode, please email us at just shoot a pod at gmail.com if you want to uh, tell Eric you loved his episode of Rutherford Falls. Let us know and we'll forward it on to him. You can follow us across all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at OKaplan. On Twitter, I'm at Smitey Pileg. And I'm across all social media at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. Welcome to the team. Um, your Patreon money is going straight to that dude. And you're listening to music by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 